0: Heavenly Father, as we continue to take steps on this journey, uh, there's so much that distracts us along the way, and I pray that in this particular time that we have to study a little bit of Gamaliel and what he advised this council, I pray that we would take away something, that our hearts would be uh, emboldened and enriched and uh, encouraged once again to have faith and trust in you, And what it is that you're doing. And uh, so I pray that we would um, reach back into this story that is our story. I pray that our hearts would be open again to not just living out a faith today, but to live out a faith that has been with us for thousands of years, that has truly transformed the world. And I pray that we can reclaim as much of the purity of that for today. Because I know... As I read the news and continue to converse with my friends here, this world is in continual need of your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your justice, your compassion. So, Lord, help us to bring more of that here, and I pray in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. Remember, this is after the Ananias and Sapphira event that Omer shared with us last week. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life, which is, I love that phrase, tell people about this new life, not this doctrine, this new life that you have found. And that's what we are talking about here. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and they, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins." We are witnesses of these things. Remember, witness, somebody who's been transformed by seeing this thing. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. So notice this scene. They are standing there in front of a group of people, elders, teachers, the Jewish ruling council, and he says this, and now there's a mob that's about to happen wants to put them to death. But a Pharisee, notice that, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail but if it is from god you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against god i've titled this message gamaliel's wager gamaliel's wager a little bit of another piece of introduction i don't know if i've done this before in a talk but as i started preparing this there's another audience that i had in mind i love our our spark community And uh, we hope that these teachings encourage you, challenge you in your faith journey, in your following of Jesus. But there's another audience that I have in mind. And that audience are the people that you may have run into, people that I know that I've run into, that have been deeply critical of any progress, any movement, any shifts, any changes, any developments within your faith. I'm thinking of a moment many years ago, a couple years ago, where we held an event and For those of you who've been around Spark, you know that we don't have a statement of faith. There's a reason for that that we've articulated in the past. But a gentleman came and visited for one of our Spark Learning seminars and was visibly upset with me as one of the pastors of this congregation. And in short, in this brief interaction that we had, came for the event because of the speaker that we had, but almost pointed his finger in my face to say, I can't believe you don't have a statement of faith and and went on to talk about how if you don't clearly articulate for the people what you believe and what the Bible clearly says, you are being irresponsible as a pastor and you're putting your people in danger. I'm thinking of a moment like that where doing my best to be gracious in the moment, just hold the space, try to articulate as best as I can our reasons or rationales. And then other people in my life along the way that have been deeply critical of the questions that maybe we ask, the tensions that maybe we hold. So in this particular talk, I'd like to share with you and hopefully help you understand a little bit about what's going on with Gamaliel's wager, but I also have in mind, and maybe you also have in mind, somebody in your life, somebody in your journey that has been deeply critical Somebody who has not really appreciated the journey that you've been on, the strides that you have made, the progress that you have made, the interpretation or the tension that you have embraced, uh, the development or the evolution of your faith. So that's a little bit in my mind. I hope it is in your mind as well. Now, I hesitated in naming this Gamaliel's Wager because there's another wager that exists within Christian circles, particularly within Christian apologetics, and that's what's known as Pascal's Wager. Pascal was a mathematician in the 17th century, and he had this reason for belief that is summed up like this. The benefits of believing that God exists in theism, the benefits of it, make belief rational. The idea behind this is that you have essentially two options. You can believe in God or you cannot believe in God. Those are your two options, belief or atheism. And Pascal's wager is simply this. Let's say you believe in God and you happen to be right. Well, congratulations, you've won the jackpot. Woo-hoo, rock on. But let's say you believe in God, but then you're wrong about God's existence, What happens, I suppose, when you die? Well, according to Pascal's wager, nothing happens, and you've lost nothing. The flip side of the coin of Pascal's wager is that if you don't believe in God and you happen to be right, well, same thing. Nothing really happens. But if you don't believe in God and you happen to be wrong, well, then what you have to lose is everything. It's eternal suffering, damnation, however you want to put this. Pascal's wager may not be terribly popular anymore. I've heard it uh, every now and then. Um, It's also summed up in C.S. Lewis's uh, kind of argument of Lord, lunatic, and liar. This falls into the category of Christian apologetics, the idea that you can use this to argue the truth or the validity of something. And this particular passage that we just read about Gamaliel is... He used like this, and let me just tell you, I have taught this myself, so I know of which I speak. I have taught that, did you see that he said that if this movement continues, then it is from God. Therefore, because the movement has continued, it expresses the validity, the truth, the veracity of this movement. You, therefore, know that this is true, and I've taught this um, even not too long ago. It is used in some ways as a proof that Christianity is therefore true, in some ways implying, therefore, that all other religions are false. However, what I'd like for us to do today is to move a little bit beyond that and say, while there may be some truth in that argument— We may be missing something much deeper and much more profound, what's going on in this passage, if we simply focus on the apologetic argument of this makes Christianity true and the movement true. This, what Gamaliel is doing, I'm going to suggest to you, is actually a setup for the religious powers that be. A setup that says, however you respond to this situation is going to determine You in some particular way, how you respond, how you think about how you process and how you react to the thing that is in front of you is going to determine and is going to essentially expose what kind of faith you have, what kind of person you are, what kind of religious person you are. That's the setup. That's the setup that I'm going to suggest Gamaliel is doing here. And to understand how he's doing that, you have to understand a little bit history. So strap in. Let's do a little bit of history and go back a ways, back to the 30s BC before Jesus, to two people named Hillel and Shammai. Everybody say Hillel Hillel. and Shammai. Shammai. Now, back in Jesus's day, in the Jewish context of his world, there were two main schools of thought. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with institutions or religions or politics splitting up into two main groups of thought. This may be a foreign (laughs) concept to us, but back then they had two different, distinct, conflicting, sometimes contradictory schools of thought. Yeah, okay. So hopefully many of us are familiar. This is a human activity. Well, back in Jesus' day, they had a very similar thing, that Hillel had a particular way of thinking about how faith should be lived out, and Shammai had a different way of thinking about how faith was laid out. Now, this is really important for setting the context of what's going on. Let me give you some examples regarding studying of Torah, which is the law, the teachings of the Bible. Hillel said or taught that one will become worthy by studying the teachings. That's how you become worthy, by studying. However, Shammai on the other side said that one must be worthy before even beginning to study. Do you see the difference there? Hillel, you become worthy by studying. Shammai, you must be worthy first. Here's another example. Lying. This is one of my favorite examples. Uh, Hillel uh, taught that lying is okay, and in fact, it can be a good thing. Like if you were to get married, and remember those were arranged marriages on those days, it doesn't matter what your wife looked like, you are to tell her that she is beautiful. Hillel was advocating lying. It's okay because there's a greater good that's going on. Shammai, what does he say? You need to tell your wife if she's ugly, if she's ugly. (laughs) Another example is one that's actually found in our Bible, which is the issue of divorce. Hillel taught that you are permitted to be divorced Uh, For trivial offenses, it could be something, uh, the famous example that's used is if uh, your wife burns the toast or if your husband burns the toast, you can divorce. Shammai, however, on the other end, taught that you can only divorce for a very specific cause, namely sexual immorality. Does that sound like an argument that our Rabbi Jesus enters into? And it's so important to understand that context and argument that Jesus actually does something there within that context. He's taking a particular side on a particular school of thought, which is really, really fascinating. Overall, with all these teachings, as you can tell from those examples, Hillel was known for being permissive and kind and patient and gentle, had a deep concern for humanity, and your faith— Your beliefs, your religion, how you live that out is supposed to embody these kinds of principles. Shammai, on the other hand, was much more strict, confining, dour, impatient, quick-tempered, and fearful. Does that sound like anything that we deal with today. a One group of people perhaps being much more open. Maybe the word is progressive. Maybe the word is being capacious. So there's all sorts of different words. And another group that is protective, that is isolating, that is really, really strict around the laws. Perhaps we might even use the word legalistic. This is something that all of us know. Now, for those of you who are heading off to college, you just graduated or are going to take another course, this is your moment where you've got two professors listed on your course, and you get to ask the question, who has what reputation? And you get to decide, which professor do you want to study under, right? This is that moment. Do you have the picture? Hillel, open, permissive, uh, kind, ge- deep concern for humanity. Shammai, I? Sh- restrict dour, ill-tempered, impatient, a little bit more legalistic. Well, what's important about understanding those two schools of thought prior to the time of Jesus is that the Sanhedrin, this group of people that governed how your faith was to be lived out or governed difficult, challenging uh, issues regarding faith and practice within the community, they had been deeply influenced by Hillel. He, in fact, so much so that he was actually listed as one of the presidents right there around 31 BC to 9 BC. He was deeply influential, deeply respected within that community, and therefore governed in that particular way. A group of people mediating difficult, challenging things with a very open, permissive, patient, kind Caring for humanity interpretation. And watch what happens to this leadership. Hillel has a son, Shimon, Simeon, and he becomes the president. But look who becomes president after. Do you see this? At some particular point within the development of this Jewish ruling body, Shammai becomes the president. And something begins to shift within the Sanhedrin, where the ideas of that openness and capaciousness and permissiveness and kindness begin to shift. There happens to be an ideological shift, a ruling shift, a government shift, a leadership shift that causes a group of people to now behave in a different way. And immediately after Shammai takes the presidency, This guy, Gamaliel, then becomes the president, becomes a very important leader within the Sanhedrin. Now, why is that important? Because Hillel has a son named Simeon, but guess who his grandson is? I want you to feel this tension. (coughs) Two schools of thought in conflict. One person has position of power and influence within this Jewish ruling council. And then all of a sudden, everything shifts over to Shammai, but then everything seems to shift back. But before it does, a group of backwater, not very well-respected Galileans begin following a guy by the name of Jesus. And this group is really tired of them, concerned about them, and threatened by them. And at that particular time, a different way of thinking about faith had emerged within that Jewish ruling council that was a little bit more ill-tempered, impatient, restrictive No, no, no. Protective, perhaps even legalistic. Feel that tension of that history going on. And then in the midst of that trial that began, that gentleman Gamaliel stands up in front of all of them and says, Listen, leave these gentlemen alone. Don't you remember the other things that we've had before? Thutis and Judas. Listen, if it's from men, it's going to die. Because ultimately, Jesus died, according to how they would say it. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You will only find yourself, and I love this phrase, fighting against God. In other words, Gamaliel inserts himself into this group of people and tries to reclaim, redeem, shift back once again the way in which the community was thinking about the development of this faith. He may have been uh, mentioning, by the way, uh, other Jewish teachings that mention this. This is from the uh, Talmud from Mishneh Avot. Every break which is made in the name of God will succeed, but that which has been accomplished to further private interests will fail. So we see this common teaching within Judaism. So then, now that you know a little bit of that history and that development and how Gamaliel fits in with that context, he is the grandson of that main school of thought, Hillel. What is his wager? My friends, this is what I'm going to suggest. Not the validity or the truth about the movement of the way of Jesus. I'm going to suggest to you that Gamaliel's wager is much more about the faith or the trust Of the religious. He is asking the question, not whether or not the movement of Jesus is true. He's asking the question, you religious folks, you Sanhedrin folks, do you trust in this God that you say you believe in? That's the wager. And if you like to put it in a nice little saying, I I would also put it the spiritual posture of the pious. Do you know religious people? I've given you a couple examples at the beginning of this talk who are just a little concerned about the developments, the movements, the redemption, the evolution of the faith community. Younger generations coming up and thinking all sorts of wild and radical ideas and how could they spurn or disdain the faith of the tradition of their fathers. I have a friend who's a drummer. Some of you may not even remember, this was back when drums were not even allowed in church, and he, he came to church, and he, like, he was a drummer, and, and our church was just much more open and much more Hillelian than Shammai, I suppose he was very like, hey, this is great, bring it in, and he comes in, and we let him play, and we would go around, it. and he, was, he, he tells me the story that one lady um, said to him one day, you are such a nice boy, why did you have to choose the devil's instrument? And he was just like, how do you deal with that? Do you know people that say that and claim that they love and they trust in this God that, that they have faith in, but yet have to hold on so tight to certain ways, certain traditions, certain things that protect that movement? And what I love about what Gamaliel does here is he does it in a way that reminds them or pushes them to remember and if he had Adele back in that day I'm sure he would have stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and said do you remember not too long ago I can just picture like I kind of want to impose Adele in the the Sanhedrin the reason you loved me me before before. Baby, baby please remember I hope I've ruined this song for all of you forever now remember not too long ago when my grandfather was president of this group of people? Don't you remember? This is how he acted. That is how he behaved. That was the kind of people we were. And look at what you're doing to this new up-and-coming group. Don't you remember my grandfather? Don't you remember? how you, yourselves, a long time ago, you were welcomed with open arms, that you were brought up in a faith that welcomed you in, that extended grace to you. And it's so amazing to me that for those of us who happen to be within religious circles or Christian circles for a long time are so blessed and honored and thankful that there was grace extended to us but after then we are part of the system for a while we forget to extend that exact same grace to others don't you remember and I feel as if Gamaliel is standing up in front of people and say don't you remember this is how we used to live this is how we used to act this is how we used to think and behave and process our faith that my friends I think is what Gamaliel's wager is is that if this religious group of people can remember the kind, permissive, patient, gentle, concern for humanity that was their heritage, then they will be able to embrace this movement with that kind of loving, open arms. But if they don't, and here's the wager, you will be fighting against God, which I feel as if many of us have experienced. Friends, the plot thickens. It gets even deeper and richer. Remember this Gamaliel says, Leave these people alone, because if you try to fight against them, you're only going to be fighting against God. Does anybody remember that Gamaliel was also a teacher of the law and he had students? Does anybody remember who one of his students' names was? His name was Saul. A gentleman who, not two chapters later, is standing at the stoning of Stephen giving approval of the persecution of this movement. Do you feel the tension? This is like a this is like a drama. This should be in a movie. People have made movies. It should be in a better movie. It should really be made well. Acts chapter 22 I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God. And what is so deeply dramatic and powerful about this passage in Acts is it is a setup again for how Paul is essentially going to behave because he ends up fighting against God. It's not about how he was an evil person and then persecuted Christians. It's how this is a setup. He's, He's fighting against God. And at some particular point, he has to wake up and realize this is not the fight. You know, Whenever I have heard the phrase fighting with God or something very similar to it, the context or the way that people usually use that, especially in religious or Christian circles, is that the people that are fighting against God are those atheists, those unbelievers, those naturalists, those pagans, those secularists. Those are the people that are fighting against God. In this context, the people that are fighting against God, according to Gamaliel, Are the religious aristocracy the powerful the people that hold those positions within religious institutions those are the people that are fighting against God people who are trying to hold on every single moment to the power that they have to the traditions that they hold to the faith that they understand and to oppress and put down any other expression of faith those are the people according to this passage, that are fighting against God. Which is part of the reason why we work and try so hard at SPARK to create a culture of tension, where there's different people who believe different things, and we're working hard to try to create that. Because we don't want to be fighting against God. Who knows what God could be doing in and amongst us in that particular way. Ultimately, Gamaliel's wager is about, hey, do you guys have faith? Do you really trust in this God? Do you really understand what God is doing? And can you open up your hearts once again to have the faith that you once had that allowed you in, that allowed these movements to continue, that allows the movement of God? To continue in this world. Rather than fighting against God and oppressing and putting down and suppressing and criticizing every little faction of every little theology, of every little statement of faith that doesn't align with yours. So my friends, back to that audience. What does this mean for those of us? And I'm hoping that for some of us in this room, we can consider Gamaliel's wager When we're having those conversations with other people who are deeply critical about what kind of church you go to, about what kind of faith you're uh, expressing, what kind of questions you have. Dear concerned Christian or evangelical or religious person or fill in whatever blank you want there, consider Gamaliel's wager. Consider his wisdom. To the religious establishment, the movement of Jesus can feel like an uprising, a revolution, which is what it felt like to them. And to people in power, revolutions are bad. But if the way of Jesus is threatening to powerful religious institutions, then it just might be from God. Don't fight. Follow after the way. And remember Hillel. Remember this tradition. Remember the grace remember the love, remember the open arms, remember the permissiveness, the kindness, the deep sense of beauty. Don't forget that. And I hope some of that helps in some of the conversations that we have. This is ultimately, Gamaliel's wager is ultimately about faith. It's ultimately about trust. Not so much about proving that our way is right more so about embracing a kind of faith that is open, permissive, some might even say progressive, redemptive, evolutionary, changing, moving, shifting. That, my friends, I'm going to suggest to you is Gamaliel's wager. And I hope it challenges you and encourages you in your conversations. Does anybody have any questions? I didn't put a question slide in here. Any thoughts, reflections? Mm-hmm. Stacy. What about in our context, when that concern is maybe less about legalism and wanting to maintain the status quo, but more about a personal concern from an interpretation of, like, enter by the narrow gate. So there's a true love for that person to indeed follow Jesus, but their interpretation is following Jesus looks like this. So that's where the concern is. From. Hmm. Anybody want to answer? binding and loosing, what Danielle's mentioning, is an idea or a concept that whatever we, however we interpret, somehow the heavens, God is going to be on board with our interpretation. I don't know if you remember Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16, but that might be a way of thinking about that. uh, Is there something about this, I suppose, that falls short in meeting that scenario that you're talking about because uh, like you're saying, well, well what about this interpretation and you're, you're, I really care about you deeply um, that, that I think is a perfect application for Gamaliel's wager trust, believe do you, do you trust that God has me, do you trust that I'm following Jesus, do you trust that we're actually on the same page, the same team yeah, thank you Gary <laughs> yes. Would uh, it be well? it's That's what statement. It is what we preach is what we do. This the way is who we are. I may have missed your question. Yes, about the no, statement. A statement of faith is like who we are. It's like a way of describing who we are. would be Sparks' response to, well, then what do you believe? Ah, we have worked very hard to make our core values a clearly articulated grounding point for our understanding of the way of Jesus, which is love, as the central command, the reputation of God, reconciliation, bringing peoples together, the world and earth together, uh, rescue, which is all of our work about the brokenness of the world and resurrection. So that's how we've articulated it. Now, the difference for us has always been this isn't a statement of things that you have to affirm, a statement of belief, like you must believe that... I don't know, God created the earth X number of years ago, and et cetera. Like, you have to believe that much more. than uh, The values, which I actually think is part of what Gamaliel is doing there, is about how do you live and behave in your faith journey? And the reason, why, well, this is a much longer conversation, but the real quick sn- snippet of is, is statements of faith have evolved radically over the course of Christian history. We can... We can show you that through the creedal development as well as through the reformation of the 15th and 16th centuries and others. And so what we've tried to do is pull through what are the core values that are consistent throughout the teachings of Genesis through Revelation. That's what we've attempted to do. And that's been our interpretation. Yeah, excellent question. Because that is, that is the question, like that gentleman that's like, well, how dare you not tell these people that they're supposed to believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God? You all are supposed to believe that, right? That was his criticism, and which I understand, and I attempted to respond graciously. Um, but again, that, that is our response, these core values. And I can point to, well, we have them on the website. Look exactly what Jesus says, what the both the Old and the New Testament say right here. That's where we draw these values from. It's, it's, it's deep within our tradition. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Father... Uh, Guide us, give us wisdom, uh, help us figure all of this out, and um, may we uh, deepen our faith in you, our trust in you, in your whatever it is that you're doing in this world, may we be on board with that, and may our hearts and our souls be open to listening, to change, to evolution, to all sorts of crazy things that your spirit does in this world so that we don't miss out and that we don't fight against you. And I pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen.